0: Bum bum ba bam bum bum bam dum, bum bum ba bam bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba do bum bum ba bum 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 ba dum, bum dum 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 bum dum 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 you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month, we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. This month, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of the Marvel Universe's most terrible power couple, the mad titan Thanos and his beloved mistress, Death. And we're applying Brene Brown's Daring Greatly to their relationship woes.
1: Wait, what's this? <gasps> Not one, but two new iTunes reviews. No way!
0: It's true. Oh my goodness. Thanks Uh, so much. It's just what I wanted. Uh,
1: So we're going to give those a read because that's what we do. You show us love, we show you love.
0: We celebrate love.
1: Yeah, that's what what our podcast is, Lisa.
0: That's so
1: nice. (laughs) Uh, This first one is is from Ill Behaved Woman. Uh, She gives us five stars.
0: Thank you very much. The
1: title is Thoughtful and Adorable. Plus, she gives us a little heart emoji, and it reads as follows. First of all, Brad and Lisa are charming and very sweet. Their love and respect for each other is so evident and it's a joy just to listen to their interplay. They candidly share insights about their own lives and relationships. And I love the idea of looking at different relationship experts and applying those concepts to the relationships in comics. It really does feel like relationship counseling and their sex positive dialogue is so open and accepting and supportive. We love comics because we connect with the characters and they take the concept to to a whole new level. And she writes a lot more. And goes into a lot, a lot of detail. I don't know if I can
0: take more because it's so wonderful. I just might implode from wonderfulness. It, yeah,
1: it's pretty cool. So thank you so much, ill-behaved woman. We really I appreciate also, that.
0: She also is a uh, interacts a lot on Twitter, which is super fun. Yes,
1: and then the second five star review comes from Tessia R B, and her title is "My Love Tank Is Full," and it reads. I just read the Dark Phoenix Saga and had some intense catharsis catharsis, catharsis. it's hard to it's say a that tricky word. word because of it I was feeling around the internet for opinions and analysis on it and landed on this podcast I just listened to the first episode loved the five love languages take on Scott and Jean since I'm a church girl and the book idea always comes up in conversation though I'll admit I've never read it
0: <laughs> don't have to it turns out
1: I cracked up and nodded my head in agreement through the whole episode I've also. Been looking for a comics podcast with a balance between male and female voices, so this was awesome. Hope you guys do a Lois Clark episode because they're my comics relationship obsession.
0: They've got to come around eventually, don't they? I
1: was thinking about holding off on Lois and Clark until 2020. Oh, geez, since we've done Bruce and Selena, and they're just such an epic couple, we can't, you know, use every go to couple on the first year, right? We have to hold back some.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully Tessia is willing to stick around for that long.
1: I think so. She's only on episode one. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully she makes it to the Thanos arc. We'll see. But if she does, I think she'll, she'll discover so many new and interesting characters and we will build up the enticement for the Lois and Clark arc when we get to it. Okay, that sounds fair. And I also wanted to point out that we had Apple J reach out to us on Twitter and give us a DM. Uh, They had just listened to our episode uh, last week and wanted to comment on our consent in comics conversation. Apple J wanted to promote their favorite couple, Rogue and Gambit, who apparently had a conversation on consent in X-Men 24 on pages 17 through 19. Ooh, Nice. I need to wade through my back issues to find that book, but when I do, I'm excited to see how this topic was handled in the early 90s. If done well, that's pretty damn progressive for that era.
0: Oh, yeah. It's way before that uh, consent is tea. <laughs> if
1: you have not seen the consent is tea video on YouTube, please look it up. It's kind of brilliant.
0: Unconscious people never want tea. That's that all you have to remember. A
1: fact. Uh, So thank you to ill-behaved woman, uh, Tessia, and Apple J. I cannot express how much this makes me feel... Loved seen. and appreciated, and seen. And, uh, you know, like we said last week, the last arc of stories that we covered on CBCC have been our most popular so far. And I just want to say, welcome to all our new listeners. Yeah. Thank you to all those that have stuck with us since the Dark Phoenix saga. And I hope you are really excited to dig into one of the weirdest and most disturbed couples in comics this week.
0: If this first comic. Is any indication very dark?
1: Yes, yeah, 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 very dark. Um, so, who are we covering? We're covering Thanos and Mistress Death. Yes, Lisa. Yes. What has been your history with these two characters prior to reading Thanos Rising?
0: Mostly, my uh, knowledge of Thanos comes from the MCU universe on in the
1: movies. Sure.
0: Um, no shame. And then when I think death, I think death from Sandman, the Neil Gaiman comic. Oh, a
1: very different death.
0: She's different. But I do have experience with concepts as character. I'm thinking in particular of Silver Surfer mm, with yeah. the Never Queen and Eternity. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: But I don't know if I've encountered death specifically, necessarily. Maybe I have, maybe I have. I
1: don't think you have. You have not read The Infinity Gauntlet, correct? No, not right, as no. of yet. Not as of yet, to be continued. <laughs> uh, no, so I think this is really your first encounter with her within the Marvel idea. And she's often referred to as the opposite of Eternity, the character you are familiar with from Silver Surfer. okay. So just like Lois and Clark, I feel like twenty twenty will also be our year where we cover Nora and Rad and Don Greenwood from that Silver Surfer. Because I
0: love it too much.
1: You love it so much. <laughs> and I know we we had this discussion before we started this podcast that you did not want to do them as a couple in the first year of this podcast because you wanted to build our own podcast skills up before we tackled two characters. My you favorite love so
0: couple. Much. Yeah, I want to be at Peak Podcast.
1: Yeah. So we will return to Eternity and Never Queen in the uh, not too distant future. Let's go with that. Personally, I've always been a big fan of Thanos. Yes, he's a terrifying, murderous monster and a constant thorn in the side of my favorite Avengers and other cosmic heroes. But the great thing about him is that Marvel writers love delving into his twisted psychology, and he's one of the rare villains that we get to understand beyond two dimensional, black and white, bad guy thinking. Yes, he's a maniac, but there is a thought and purpose behind his bad deeds. Thanos was created by writer-illustrator Jim Starlin and made his first appearance in 1973's The Invincible Iron Man number 55. Starlin was a big fan of what Jack Kirby was doing with the New Gods over at DC Comics, and he wanted to tackle a character like Metron. But Marvel editor Roy Thomas wasn't a big fan of Metron's look, and he told Starlin if he was going to steal a look from Kirby, he should rip off Darkseid's rocky exterior. So he did, and that's why Thanos looks like he does. He's primarily known as a foe for Captain Marvel, Silver Surfer, and Adam Warlock, but in the early 90s, he became a universe-shattering threat during the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, which the Marvel Cinematic Universe has practically built their whole plot around. I was a major Infinity Gauntlet freak as a kid, and it turned me into a Thanos fan for life. Thanos is primarily motivated by his courtship of with Mistress Death. She's, like you said, this personification of the fate we must all face and to gain her favor Thanos commits to eradicating half the universe and he'll use the infinity gauntlet to achieve it ah but there may be more to it than that as we'll see in this week's episode on the origin story of their relationship
0: yes I cannot wait to get Thanos prone on our counseling couch.
1: (laughs) I'm also really excited to be tackling such a bizarre relationship. And to do that, we are going to be using Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, a book that I'm somewhat familiar with as a former bookseller. Lots of people came in requesting this title. Very, very popular. Lisa, I know nothing about this title, despite having sold it to many folks. How are we going to use it in our conversation with Thanos and Death?
0: To get into that, you we have to say the full title of the book. So the full title is Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. So this is our first book on comic book couples counseling. That's not strictly a relationship book, but it goes into what motivates us to act defensively versus taking risks to get what we want. So that can be ending up in a secure and functioning relationship, or it can be finding success in your career or finding more fulfillment in your life. So this can be applied to a lot of what Thanos and death do. Yeah,
1: not just their relationship, but how to be a more effective mass murderer.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (sighs) So Brene Brown's background is that she's a researcher in the area of two super fun subjects vulnerability and shame mm. she first blew up when a ted talk she did for tedx in houston called the power of vulnerability hit the internet in 2010 and blew up and to this to this day it's one of the most watched ted talks of all time
1: i'll try to find that ted talk and i'll put it out on our twitter uh, feed
0: that that would be awesome. I feel like I watched this TED Talk when it came out because I've gone on and off, like going down TED Talk rabbit same, holes. Same. We all trying have. trying to fill that hole in me, <laughs> trying to get better, be more productive. Just
1: like our podcast does.
0: That's right. And um, but it's been a long time if I've seen it at all. So sure, okay. I'm I'm super excited. Darren Greatly is just one of her five number one best-selling books. Yeah, she's a on, monster. Yeah, on this particular research. So um, her first book that came out the same year as the TED Talk is called The Gifts of Imperfection. Then um, then 2012 is Daring Greatly. 2015 is Rising Strong, The Reckoning, The Rumble, The Revolution. 2017 is Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True True Belonging. And then the latest one is Dare to Lead. So it's all about risk-taking.
1: Putting yourself out there. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And the funny thing about vulnerability is it's something we admire in others, but we loathe in ourselves. Is that true? Do I loathe
1: vulnerability?
0: Yeah. Anytime you fear putting out an article... Or uh saying something the way you really want to say it because you're avoiding criticism. Uh That's you avoiding vulnerability. Uh
1: Constantly editing this podcast so that I sound great.
0: And I sound so stupid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. That's not true.
0: But don't you admire writers who are able to just put it all out there? And say everything they want to say, regardless of what other people might think Yeah, don't them.
1: look back. Of course, yeah. But do, do those writers even exist?
0: Of course they do. Oh, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you you could think of an example. Who? What is an example of a writer you really admire?
1: A writer that I really admire that's in my field or that's just like Anybody. way beyond me? Anybody. Well, I mean, like Harlan Ellison is my all-time favorite writer, right? And that's a dude who at least... Well, probably pretty early on, too, would say his horrible, crazy, wild thoughts and never looked back. Right. And, and And people would either take him or leave him, and he didn't care what you thought about him.
0: That's right. So he was willing to be vulnerable, but didn't let criticism affect him, change him as a writer, which is something you actively avoid sometimes.
1: Okay, all right, touche, Lisa.
0: The truth is vulnerability is unavoidable and choices are going to rise whether we seek them out or not. And every time we make the choice that keeps us feeling safe, we're actively making choices that are often contrary to the person we want to become. A big part of being And feeling vulnerable is not reaching out to people to help us get our goals. We don't want to tell people our worries and our fears Mm. for fear of judgment by them. So we try to go it alone. And the problem is any goal that's worth achieving requires that we have people to help us achieve it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. that, That makes sense to me.
0: And in a relationship... If you don't reach out to your other person yeah. for help when you're right. you're being vulnerable, what message does that send back to them? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 giving them few options.
0: You're giving them feedback that I never need help. And so I'm gonna judge you if you need help. Yeah,
1: and you're steering their detachment from you because of that.
0: Exactly. So hmm. it has to go back with that idea of mutuality in a relationship.
1: Okay, cool. But if vulnerability is so good, why don't we do it all the time? Why don't we be more like Brad everywhere?
0: <laughs> well, when you're vulnerable, you're bringing a lot of risk into your situation. So, by avoiding feeling vulnerable, you're often less left static. Mm. Where you're not thing, the situation isn't getting any better, but the situation really isn't getting any worse.
1: Sure, and you're not engaging.
0: Exactly, and then if you are being vulnerable, either it can be a thing that moves you ahead, it towards your goal, or it can be a failure that can be a setback. And what we really fear when it comes to being vulnerable is the ultimate downside, which is shame. Shame is a deeply embedded fear of social rejection. It makes us feel unworthy of love, belonging, and joy, and it's marked by being something we consider unspeakable. In her research, Brene Brown has identified 12 shame categories. So these are the areas where people feel the greatest amount of shame. Um, so I'm just going to read directly from the book. Um, Appearance and body image,
1: hmm.
0: money and work, yep. parenthood, family, parenting, uh. mental and physical health, hmm. addiction, sex, aging, religion, surviving trauma, and being stereotyped or labeled. Hmm. Hmm. That last one, I think, hmm. is a big. for Thanos, Mm -hmm. particularly in the beginning of the book where he's born and he can't identify himself and he's afraid of what his mother thinks of him, what the other children might think of him, and so on. A 2011 study, and you know I love me some studies. (laughs) She cites many studies in her book. In 2011, a study funded by the National Institute of Mental Health found that the brain processes physical pain... And the pain of social rejection the same way. So the same way we like try to avoid touching a fire because it's hot Uh or might avoid doing an activity because we might hurt ourselves. Yeah, no football. Exactly. We treat social rejection the same way, like Mm. it's going to physically hurt us. Mm,
1: Interesting, interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, this really does play into those early chapters of Thanos Rising.
0: Yes. So the – So what she wants to create in her readers is shame resilience, the ability to identify shame in yourself and bounce back from it. So here is how you identify shame in yourself. First and foremost, you're going to recognize it because it's something you don't want to talk about. So if you find going like, let's say... You ate all the Girl Scout cookies in the freezer. Oh no. And you Not didn't this again. and you didn't want to tell me about it right away, <laughs> that was shame. Uh-huh. But once you told me about it and we discussed it, the shame dissipated. Uh huh. And so, then I
1: moved on to the good diving shop.
0: Yeah. But once you discovered that I was not going to socially reject you because you're stealing all my candy.
1: Yeah, I just continue to steal all your candy. Yeah, you
0: do. It's really a beautiful thing. I don't know if Renee Brown would approve of that conversation. <laughs> Whatever. Um, there are a lot of similar emotions in ourselves that we might confuse with shame, um, particularly guilt, uh, humiliation and embarrassment. So um, there's a kind of quick rules of thumb for each of these emotions to go is this guilt or is this shame? Okay. Is this humiliation or is this shame? So first you have to listen to your self talk and analyze it. S- Let's go category by category. Okay. So the first category would be shame versus guilt. So shame is when your self talk is, I am bad. I'm a bad person for doing something versus I did something bad. So shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Actions from guilt encourage you to be a better person because you acted in a way contrary to what you believe your values are. So you ate the chocolate cookies Uh from the freezer.
1: Uh They were Samoas.
0: They were Samoas. (laughs) And... You thought, oh, I did something bad. I ate the cookies without telling Lisa about it. That's contrary to my values. I am not a cookie thief. I will go to Lisa and I'll apologize.
1: Yeah. Is that that what happened though?
0: (laughs) That's not what happened. What happened was this. You ate the cookies. Uh You go, I am the kind of person who cannot control himself when it comes to cookies. Uh You feel shame. And then you go, well, that's the kind of person I am. I'm a kind of person who steals cookies. And then you continue to steal desserts.
1: Because of my shame. Because of your shame. Okay. Well, I'm working on it.
0: Yeah. But if you go, like you can turn that ship around and go, I am not the kind of person who eats a box of cookies. Uh, I'm going to act differently in the future. Therefore, you're like you're not judging yourself. Uh, you're judging the action and going next time. I'm going to do an action that aligns with my values. All
1: right. So I'm not doomed to a life of shame. God. Right. It.
0: Guilt is constructive, and shame is destructive and a poor motivator for changes of behavior.
1: All right. Well, we'll see how uh, the future Samoa's fare in our freezer.
0: There we go. So the next category is shame versus humiliation. So. Shame makes you feel like you deserved being publicly shunned or whatever. And humiliation, you go like, well, I deserved better than that. So like me talking incessantly about how you ate my Girl Scout cookies, even though you know that they're seasonal and I cannot get them all year round. um, Maybe you think that you deserve better than me to publicly humiliate you on a podcast. Too late. (laughs) But... (laughs) If you feel shame for it, you go, well, I deserve to be publicly flogged because I'm a bad person. Ouch. Yeah. So that's shame versus humiliation. And then um, what I really think you feel about the cookies thing is embarrassment. So j- <laughs> shame versus embarrassment. When you feel shame, you feel like you're the only person who would do such a thing. Like I would be the only person who would just eat all of my partner's cookies regardless of what I think her cookies, needs, and wants are. Like, I'm a bad person. Um, Embarrassment is when you tell this story, other people go like, oh, I get it. So embarrassment makes you feel like other people can empathize with where you're coming from, and then the empathy makes you feel better and makes you feel connected to people. So shame makes you feel disconnected and wants to draw inside yourself Embarrassment makes you feel connected with others who because everybody's had a similar experience.
1: All right. I think I think you I think that's accurate. Embarrassment.
0: Yes. So, in relationship to Thanos oh, rising. God. Yeah, let's
1: get it off of uh, Brad's uh, uh, sh- vulnerability and bring it over to Thanos.
0: Yes. I should have used examples for my own life. That would have been the more vulnerable <laughs> Brene Brown thing to do. It's just you put the cookie thing on the table. I did.
1: I did because I'm embarrassed. <laughs>
0: we could do a completely like redo of this conversation. We can talk about something terrible. No, 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 no. Nothing no. comes to mind. No,
1: no, no. Let's keep going. This is all accurate.
0: Okay. What it comes down to is that death uses Thanos's fear of social rejection and shame to motivate him to act in a way contrary... To his innate values. So he goes from being a sensitive artist who's interested in intellectual pursuits to a killing genocide machine. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it, shall we?
0: Let's get into it.
1: Thanos Rising was a five issue miniseries written by Jason Aaron and illustrated by Simone Bianchi and published in 2013 as part of Marvel's Marvel Now relaunch. Uh, the plot is kind of typical coming of age story, but featuring that mad titan, Thanos. We begin on the Saturn moon of Titan. We meet him at his birth, where moments after Susan, his mother, delivers this purple mutant child. She grabs a doctor's scalpel and attempts to murder the baby. She's stopped by her husband, the Eternal, Alars, and she's imprisoned in a mental institution. Thanos grows up in school. He's the smartest kid around, and he's a talented artist as well. Unfortunately, he does have a preoccupation with death and prefers to sketch corpses to other still life studies. Uh, One day while he's out playing with some kids, he is trapped in a cave collapse. When he learns that the other children are killed and that their bodies were chewed on by titan lizards, he plots his revenge on the scaly creatures. From their deaths, a whole history of murder begins. That's... Due in part to his relationship with another unnamed child, but we know as a reader that she's death. Although I got to ask Lisa, did you know right from the get go that that kid was death? I guess based on we are yes, reading it for this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's a, a, a version of death we have not seen before in the Marvel universe uh, appearance wise. Okay. Now, Thanos grows up as a vicious serial killer, but his father refuses to believe the rumors. Uh, he, you know, Thanos leaves Titan, he explores the galaxy, sires countless children with countless alien women, and eventually becomes bored with his pirate lifestyle. He returns to Titan and finds Death all grown up. Uh, he demands her love, she demands his loyalty, he must kill all. All the babies he sired and all the mothers he sired them with. And he goes about that dark deed, hoping that death will finally take him in. Spoilers. Yeah, right, Thanos. Right. (laughs) Now, the book actually begins in the present with the word now. And we see adult genocidal Thanos, as we've always known him, return to Titan to the ruins and visit his mother's grave then we flash back to his birth and we meet a very different thanos and i don't think we've ever seen a thanos at this age certainly not as he's he's adorable like that first panel where he has just been born that is actually a cute image and i honestly don't think of bianchi's art as being cute but that baby adorable adorable
0: Super adorable, despite being covered in boils, it looks like.
1: Yeah, he's, you know... Oh, baby boils. He, he, you know, his parents don't look like him. His parents are not purple, bumpy-chinned creatures. He is a mutation. Yeah. Uh And he's instantly feared by his mom. As we said, upon birth, she goes for that scalpel, tries to stab him. Um... But I want to talk about these early early years because this is what is so unique about this book and what it was like for child Thanos in the world.
0: I think it's telling that Thanos' first conscious memory is the memory of being rejected by his mother. Yes. And never wanting to feel that rejection again. And generally you wouldn't think, like, A little tiny baby will necessarily remember the day of his birth, but we find out later he experiences the rejection of his mother almost like a dream.
1: Yeah, and and he has really two dreams or two nightmares. One is the scalpel coming for him, and the other is him as a god wielding power over the entire universe. And so he's haunted by these two ideas, and that is Thanos, right? Ah, 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 ah. But there's- a love in his life. There is another factor also steering him.
0: Yeah. And she uses that manipulation of fear of social rejection and not fitting in as a way to bend him to her whims. But before we even meet death, there are two instances where we get to see that, that shame, that fear of social rejection at play. So the first one is on the playground, Where um, one of the kids go like, hey, you, you know, you're the son of the mentor. Yeah,
1: you're the smartest kid around.
0: Right. Like, do you ever do like fun stuff like play? And Thanos gets the message of, which seems like a sweet thing, like, hey, here's here's the weirdo kid and the other children invite him to play. But the message that he gets is he has to put down what he's doing, the smart guy stuff, the drawing stuff, in order to be accepted as one of the group.
1: Yeah, but even in that moment, before he has met death, what is he drawing on his page? The corpse of a lizard. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, so, you know. He's,
0: He's clearly fascinated with decay and, like,
1: all the Jeffrey Dahmer stuff, mm-hmm. like that's what Thanos Rising is. It's it's that what's that film that we watched not too long ago? My friend Dahmer, yeah. right? It, it's about finding empathy for these guys who are broken in the brain, who gravitate towards the morbid and take that uh, fascination to dark, dangerous depths.
0: Right, but I do think that. That, like, I do think, honestly, as a little child, his fascination with death was um, more scientific.
1: Grandma go and stuff like that. Right. Like, all kids are fascinated by death because it is a concept that is hard for them to imagine because, the lo- you know, the world is theirs. Right. But still, it's a pretty good uh, uh, premonition of where Thanos is going.
0: <laughs> yes. And another instance of social rejection is his disconnected relationship with his father.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Alars. Lars.
0: So there's a scene where he is in his father's lab and he has this idea for a school project where he looks into his own genetic line to figure out why exactly he looks so different from his parents. And maybe that'll help answer this like gnawing question he has inside of him. Of like, what exactly am I? And so he takes a vulner—he does a vulnerable thing. He lays out this desire for his father, and then his dad isn't even listening. Yeah, he's
1: busy in his work. He's so absorbed. That's a scene that you see in a lot of of coming-of-age stories of this kind. You know, before you know the murdering and all that happens. This is a very typical sequence. You know, it's every son wants the adulation of their dad, right? And if You are denied that. That is a cruel act in itself.
0: But I think Alars is also really scared of looking into what his son is because of his wife's mad ramblings about him being a killer.
1: Right. And Alars also has his father. Yeah, Kronos. Kronos, a first generation eternal, saying there's something not right with this boy and you need to look into it. And Alars rejects his dad and says, no, 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 I, I I know what's going on with my kid. You don't worry about it. Meanwhile, all of Titan is whispering about what is going on in the basements of Thanos' world. Right.
0: In uh, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown cites two studies that prove when you believe that you're invulnerable, like Alars believes that Eternals cannot be murdered, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. and believing that you're invulnerable actually makes you the most vulnerable. Yeah, yeah,
1: which will bleed down into Thanos later.
0: Right. So one of the studies was in patients who got prescribed a life change, like a diet change or an exercise regimen or maybe something like that, they that patients were more likely to follow through with the doctor's recommendations if they were told, you are vulnerable to heart disease. You are vulnerable to um, whatever.
1: Right, right, right.
0: And then the other study was a study of um, susceptibility to advertising. So people who think they're the least susceptible to advertising <laughs> are actually the people who are most susceptible to advertising Uh-oh. because they think oh well you know i am a smart person i can't be convinced by any dumb ad ooh that looks interesting Mm-hmm-hmm. where someone on the other hand would go oh i'm super susceptible to advertising so if i f- see an ad and i feel like i need that product like i have to ask myself oh is that because i'm being susceptible to the They're advertising or is aware, it something that i need right. exactly yeah,
1: yeah and are able to reject it as a result
0: and address it mm-hmm. which is where Alars fails.
1: Okay. So those are the first two rejections, or actually first three rejections before Thanos ever meets death. Now what happens when she enters his realm?
0: Thanos first meets death right after he had to do a dissection in science class.
1: Did you ever have to do that?
0: I dissected a frog. Yeah, same. Like, it was all drained of blood and stuff. It didn't feel real.
1: Didn't feel real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt very rubbery. Yeah, same.
0: But that's something, like, as a person, I would not do today.
1: Uh, Agreed. And what's interesting is that Thanos can't do it then, in class. Right. He has a violent reaction to cutting into this creature, and he flees.
0: Right. And Death sees him ralping and is like, Dissecting things is going to get easier, and she plays on his social rejection by his father, going, like, how are you ever going to be a great scientist like your dad if you can't handle dissecting one lizard?
1: So this is their first meeting, but in a few pages previously, we see Death set her sights on Thanos playing ball with the other children. So there is a sense that she has come for him, that she is predator to Thanos' prey. Right. That conversation between Death and Thanos about Alars and what he will think about his son leads directly into the scene where Thanos and the children go cave dwelling and Mm -hmm. there's the collapse. He is able to free himself from the rubble and follows these lizards uh, towards the light. And what the lizards actually deliver are the corpses of all the other children who were with him. And he sees that these lizards are feasting on these children. Um, He's horrified by it. And what's interesting is that Jason Aaron includes these captions where years later... When Thanos is the mad Titan, the genocidal maniac, people will look back on this moment in Titan and believe that Thanos killed those children. And while that's not true, it is a huge turning point for him where he is actually enraged towards the lizards for feasting on the flesh of his friends. And the desire that he has in himself is to seek punishment, to exact justice upon those lizard creatures. But
0: the exacting justice was not his idea. It Mm. was a suggestion by Death.
1: Right, right. But Death did notice that, you know, Thanos, he collected one of these little lizards and he put his little tiny kid mitts around its neck and he couldn't bring himself to squish the lizard. And that's when Death comes in and says like, you know quit being a baby, do what you gotta do
0: right, but that is the first time that Thanos and death are inextricably linked, mm-hmm. and what I find interesting is that that's the first time a child has died on Titan period for like decades yeah, uh-huh. so.
1: Prior to this, it was thought impossible. That right. They, were, a, yeah. they thought
0: they were invulnerable right. mm-hmm. to accidents. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, on top of how different Thanos is. Yeah, on this of like yeah. It creates a lot of suspicion around him, which furthers his social rejection.
1: And the future narrative that he's going to walk down.
0: Right. So Thanos goes from getting his revenge, killing all of these green tails for killing his friends, and then he goes on to continue to capture and tear apart animals, but he does it under the guise of science.
1: Yeah. We have like a time jump where we're now in Thanos's teen years and he's like, what is it? Like a, a cave ape. He has trapped and cut open and yeah, he's trying to understand what is life. What makes him different? Why is he this purple bumpy chinned thing and everybody else is not. And so that's why he is, or at least that's what he's telling himself and death why he's cutting these things open.
0: And I think that it's important to point out that he is doing this in the manner of his father's work. Mm-hmm, he's right. doing it in the name of science, so to speak. And, and he's still excelling at school. He feels like there's nothing more that his teachers can teach him.
1: Yeah. He's schooling them. And when he realizes that dissecting these baser animals won't get him The answers he seeks, that's when he graduates into full-on serial killer mode and kidnaps those two teenagers, straps them up on his table, and splices them open.
0: Yeah. There is a quote that I would like to double back on. So this is when he has the ape thing Mm -hmm. all strapped Mm -hmm. up, and um, Death is going like, ooh, look at his eyes. They they look just like ours, and he's like, mm, we'll see if they're like ours once I've like pulled them out and really inspected, inspected them. And she says, this is quite an escalation from green tails and ice rats. Are you sure you're ready for this, Thanos? And Thanos replies, what happened in the caves when I was young? That was a moment of weakness and great shame for me. Oh, interesting. I am not some mindless savage. I am a scientist. My hunger is not for blood, but for knowledge. So he sees his killing things as a sign of his weakness, mm. but his gaining of knowledge as a sign of strength.
1: Mm, 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 mm. All right, what a maniac.
0: <laughs> but this idea of knowledge being power makes his lack of self-knowledge a huge vulnerability hmm. to him. So death uses that area of vulnerability to con- to convince him to upgrade from ice rats and Mm -hmm. apes Mm -hmm. to other Eternals. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, those murders on Titan only sustain him for so long. One, he can't talk about them with anybody.
0: Right, so they're a source of shame.
1: And he decides he has to get off world. But before he does that, he murders his mother.
0: Right, because she says, "I." she's the one who says, I know what you are. And what she sees in him is something...
1: Horrible. And re- Thanos's response to her in that moment was, no, you don't because I don't even know what I am. So you can't know what I am. Right. And he kills her, goes off world, becomes a pirate, starts having sex with every woman he meets on every planet, starts having a bunch of kids, and is hollow. And he is not uh, accepted by his pirate crews, his various pirate crews. And he he's a nothing creature. Yeah, And he's trying to connect with other women and, and through family, but he's hollow inside. He's a void, and he senses that only death, the woman back on Titan, will fill that void.
0: Right, because right before he left, they had this huge conversation of, like, you know, he's like, I- I've got to leave. I've killed all of these people. And um, she's like, first she tells him, like, well, there's no shame in, you know, being your, true to your nature. Um, but then he asks, he invites Death to come with him, mm. and she was like, no, love is not for the weak, Thanos of Titan. What makes you think you're worthy of anyone's love? Mm. Time to face facts. You've already found the love you'll ever know, and you're burying it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so she's saying... Your true love is not me. You're not worthy of my love because you are in love with the action that is putting people in the ground, which I find like a weird thing for her to say. A
1: weird message considering that she is death. Right. (laughs) Comics, man. Mm -hmm. So he does come back to Titan after he's, you know, sowed his wild oats. Right. And he meets adult death, and she tells him, "Look, we can never be together because you are not loyal to me,
0: yeah, I'll need to know that you belong to me yeah. if, if we're if I'm going to be your bride, you have to be you
1: have to pledge allegiance
0: exactly, and
1: to do that, that means you can't have anyone competing for my attention." So, ipso facto, you got to go kill all your babies and all your women.
0: Right. But then, of course, after that, she's not satisfied. Yeah. So by the way,
1: he does go and kill all those babies and all those women. He's very thorough.
0: Like, you can never accuse Thanos of not being hardworking. And can I just say that
1: what I find so unpleasant about Thanos Rising is how much of a serial killer book it is. Right. You know, I love Thanos as a character. I love him in the Infinity Gauntlet as this cosmic uh, deity courting death, never being satisfied. But to see the birth of that mentality displayed in such an empathetic manner to put you so close into the head of a true, sick, Individual, the way that Thanos rising does separates this version of Thanos from any other version in the Marvel universe. And as a comic book reader, that reality intruding into my spandex world mm-hmm. is upsetting and I have to uh, reconcile with it or I have to reject Thanos rising in the canon of the other Marvel Thanos books.
0: Even in the MCU, Thanos is motivated by something that's, other than death, he's, a, he's, he's, he's in, moralistic. Yes,
1: he's an environmentalist.
0: Exactly, where in this book, the truth is he just really likes killing things and it's is gross. really he's good gross. at it. Yeah, he's super gross. It's really
1: troubling. But
0: he does eventually get habituated to doing all of these mass murders, and he's starting to find himself get bored plus he's become so super strong and powerful that nobody can kill him so the stakes of his killing strictly strictly come down to if if i kill enough eventually death will sleep with me uh, right and he and she plays on this idea that she continues to make him feel like I'll never be enough. You'll never be enough for me. She's
1: telling him straight up. This yep. is never going to happen, dude. Right. But he can't he can't listen. Right.
0: So she continues withholding sex from him, genocide after genocide until finally he's like, "What then? Like what's going to be enough to cure me of my horrible case of purple balls?" <laughs> <laughs> and she implies that what he really needs to go do is return to Titan. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but he does resist that idea.
0: At first, and then he calls the guards to lock up Death because he's had enough of her. And they're like, who are you talking about?
1: Yeah, they can't see her.
0: And Thanos finds out that he is the only one who has ever seen Death.
1: Right. And there's a few panels where we go back in time and we're with child Thanos and we see uh, Death interacting with those girls who are watching Thanos play ball and they're actually not talking to her.
0: Right. It's very sixth sense.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. It, It does bring up the question, is death real? Is death an entity like eternity in the Silver Surfer comics or is Thanos crazy as depicted in Thanos rising? And Jason Aaron doesn't really answer that question. For me
0: personally, mm -hmm. it comes down to that first panel where we see her, where she sees Thanos first. Right. Where I think that if she was a manifestation of his mind- Thanos
1: would see her first. Exactly. So the fact that the reader is introduced to death before Thanos is introduced to death means she is a being. Right. Okay. We're on the same page.
0: her not being visible- does make her unspeakable, which is a source of continuing shame, right? Things that are unspeakable. Oh, damn. but bump hmm
1: So the book climaxes with a final confrontation between Alars, Thanos' father, and Thanos. And Alars comes packing heat. He's got a big old science gun and he's aimed it right on Thanos.
0: Right. He's finally, after Thanos wipes out all of Titan, believes, like, okay, maybe my son is a murderer.
1: And Thanos finds that hilarious. How cute. He snatches the science gun from Alars, puts it to his own temple, pulls the trigger and nothing happens. It's a pathetic weapon that has no effect on the Mad Titan.
0: I think it's important to point out that Alars could not pull the trigger himself. And he, he -hmm. distinguishes that as a difference between him and his son. Like I have this gun pointed at you. I know that you are, a murderer, and yet I still cannot take your life. And that's the difference. I can't take a life, and you clearly do it with relish. And
1: he he does it right then. He kills Alars, his father.
0: Right. F- but first, before that, he tells father all about death. I'm like, I've got a new girlfriend. Dad, meet him. And, <laughs> and dad's like, nobody's there. Like, n- you can't say that. An invisible woman has convinced you to do all of these murders. You chose to do these murders, and that means that you can choose to stop. And Thanos is like, nah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then kills him. Right. And then the final pages of Thanos Rising is this conversation between Death and Thanos about their future together. They do have a really hot makeout session. Mm -hmm. But Thanos notices that her kiss is Oh, so cold. So icy, icy cold. And he wanders away from death. Now we jump to present day where the book began back on Titan after Thanos has visited his mother's grave and he meets death once again. Now this version of death is a lot less hot. <laughs> yeah. Way
0: more rotting corpsey.
1: She's a little bit more like what we'll see her as in the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, the, the, the image of death that we see in classical Renaissance paintings and what have you. Right. With the, the cloak and the whole thing. And she asks Thanos, do you remember this was where we first kiss? Will you kiss me again, my love, please? It's been so very long since. Please talk to me. And Thanos has his back to her.
0: Right. And then um, the narration says Thanos the Destroyer has come to Titan to remember that he was once a boy who loved. And that everything he has done since, every world he has conquered, every dark miracle he has conjured, every life he has taken, he has done so alone. So now his relationship with death, he really thinks that she does not exist. It was a manifestation of his own mind and therefore a continuation of his shame.
1: Yeah. And completely alone, lost. And and
0: disconnected. Disconnected. Which is humanity's greatest fear.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: Not humanity. He's not a human, but you know, like
1: sentient beings, greatest fear. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanos rising. Lisa, did you like it?
0: I loved it. I found it fascinating. I didn't really, I kind of liked the serial killer glimpse uh-huh. into Thanos's mind. This idea that, he can be an empathetic character? Yeah,
1: I'm really conflicted over it, right? Uh, you know, it's it's almost like they brought too much humanity to my favorite villain, which is absurd to say, and I hate saying it on this podcast. But the Thanos that I love, the Jim Starlin Thanos, who is so caught up in his philosophical nonsense, um, it, it's hard to see him... Vivisect- as a tool. As a tool. He's well, a tool for death. I don't necessarily mind that. To me, it's hard for me to see him literally vivisecting creatures. Mm. You know, to really put the language of serial killer cinema and true crime into Marvel Comics, into Thanos' worldview, is incredibly upsetting. It's engaging as hell. And I think the book is great. Mm-hmm. But It makes me feel all kinds of squishy feelings. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. It's a fascinating way to start this series on Thanos and death. And it's very different from where we're going after this episode.
0: It's going to be interesting to see how like, what we've learned about this version of Thanos aligns with these other story arcs.
1: Because the last time I read the Infinity Gauntlet was well before I had ever encountered this storyline. Yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, is there anything we want to say that we learned about their relationship in using Daring Greatly that we can apply to our own lives or what we have we recognize in ourselves? Clearly, there's the Samoa problem that yeah. I <laughs> have and my embarrassment and my conflict between embarrassment and shame and all that jazz. But uh, anything else that you wanted to add to that uh, conversation?
0: I think that it is valuable to see when... A relationship with someone else is creating shame inside you, as opposed to something more constructive. Like, if there's something that your partner says that makes you act in a way that's contrary to your values, you really have to question: Does this person love me, or is this person manipulating me? Hmm.
1: Hmm. Uh, I think that you've gone a long way into connecting daring greatly to us and applying it to Thanos and death. It's weird to try to find yourself in Thanos and death's relationship. We've studied and discussed uh, problematic relationships in the past with Scott and Jean, um, even uh, moments in the lifespan of Marco and Alana from Saga. But this is truly the most troubling and mm, psycho- psychotic slash evil uh, relationship we've explored on this show. So I'm curious to see how the rest of these conversations go as far as relating their stories back to our relationship. And I don't know if I'm ready to do that on this episode.
0: I think that there is a lot of values in stories that tell the destructive nature of shame Mm -hmm. so that we can avoid those things in our own lives so when we feel like we're engaging with shame rather than engaging with others we'll have this story to look to to go like well I don't want to be like Thanos to avoid being vulnerable and Turning my life as a quiet artist, intellectual into a serial killer, I lost that thought. But you were well, following. I, I me. know
1: what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. So, Brad, where do we go next with Thanos and death?
1: Well, we've pretty much spoiled it already. I think we have to go right to the main event, the Infinity Gauntlet. It is an epic mini series from the '90s, much more in depth and dense than what we experienced with Thanos rising. So you're going to need to start reading it as soon as possible. Oh no homework. Uh, it is written by Thanos's creator, Jim Starlin and illustrated by George Perez and Ron Lim. And um, yeah, this is a major comic from my youth. I'm really excited to revisit it, especially in the wake of Thanos rising. And yeah, it's going to include Every character in the Marvel Universe, Thanos is going to go up against Captain America, Spider Man, Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer, the Hulk, Thor, etc., etc., etc. Everybody.
0: Well, we saw how well that went in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: Well, you know, don't expect the Infinity Gauntlet to be the Infinity War movie. They right. are very, very different. Uh, but I think, as somebody who appreciates the Dark Phoenix saga, Lisa, I do. You are going to really relish in the nostalgia of the storytelling that is happening in infinity gauntlet. Nice. nice. So I'm excited. Uh, that is our book for next week. We will continue to use Brene Brown's daring greatly to apply it to the relationship of Thanos and death. And we look forward to you listeners reaching out to us, letting us know what you think about this relationship. Give us an example of a story arc that you would like to see us explore. I know we're definitely going to be doing Donnie Cates' Thanos wins to close out this month, but I'm still trying to figure out where we're going to go in week three after the Infinity Gauntlet.
0: Ooh, Brad's waffling.
1: Uh, I am. I am. There's so many places we could travel with the Mad Titan, and I just want to make sure we do this maniac justice in these four episodes.
0: It's a tremendous responsibility.
1: Mm. All right, Lisa. So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
1: You can find me on all social medias, at MouthDork. As you're listening to this, I am returning from Chattanooga. I just went to the Chattanooga Film Festival and I encourage all our listeners to also subscribe to our other podcast, the ItMod Chatcast Podcast on iTunes and Podbean, where we are interviewing all manner of filmmakers uh, from the independents to the almost blockbusters not quite we haven't reached that realm yet Ooh. one day one day we'll have Kevin Feige on the show but until then you really need to go back and listen to our Crispin Glover episode it is amazing and we also just talked to Emilio Estevez uh, for his film The Public and A.T. White for his film Starfish they're all really wonderful chats and I'm trying to get people to, to spread the word on the ITMOD chat cast yes so there you go. Uh, until next week, guys, keep your love tank full and your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.